Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjetsad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and also friends. Isn't that right, Ben? If you say so. And I usually use this opportunity to let Ben uh, take the reins and talk about some of the recent publications he's written for. Go for it, Ben. Uh, You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, and on newsstands in the current September issue of Car and Driver. Very cool. Now I'm going to take those reins right back from you and tell people where they can find my work, which is uh, autotrader.ca, driving.ca, TechSpot, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, let's talk about some new crossovers or SUVs this week, because you drove one that um, I think you have a, v- a related vehicle in your in your garage. Isn't that right? A related vehicle? What do you mean by that? Well, I think the car you're about to talk to has the same name as the car that you currently own. That's true. I would say that in terms of uh, nomenclature, they have that thing in common. But absolutely everything else about these two vehicles, Sammy, is couldn't be more different. So what car are you talking about then? Your Cadillac Yes. I'm talking – no, I'm talking about the – well, I mean that car doesn't even exist Your, da- your Datsun 240? <laughs> Again, doesn't exist. Um, I'm talking about the uh, 2022 Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Oh, yes, of course. Everyone's favorite uh, Jeep nameplate, the Grand Wagoneer. Here's what's what weird about the Grand Wagoneer. What are you talking about? What is this? This is the Grand Wagoneer is what exactly? So here's what's weird about the Grand Wagoneer is that I drove this three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and we forgot to talk about it on the show. <laughs> very by, telling. Very, very telling. By it? we, I mean me, but also Sammy, because part of his role is to fill in the gaps in my memory, which are becoming increasingly problematic, but only with regards to the podcast. I forgot that's what they pay me for, to make sure that you uh, you don't forget the things that you've done recently. <laughs> and I have to poke, poke and prod you about them. Forget the things that I've done makes it sound like you're building a case against me. <laughs> uh, someone probably should. But so I had a day with the Grand Wagoneer, and I own a Grand Wagoneer, and these vehicles are separated by roughly 30 years. The last Grand Wagoneer came out in 1991. And it it was a design that had originally debuted in 1963 and then didn't really change (laughs) over the next three decades. So when Jeep decided it wanted to get into the full-size SUV space, it didn't want to make the same mistake it did last time, Sammy, which was, I don't know if you remember a vehicle called the Commander. I vaguely remember it. Did it have handles on the outside of the vehicle somewhere? That I don't know, but uh, the commander is never far from my mind because friend of the show, Bradley Iger, uh, fellow auto journalist, he wanted one for a while and we argued about it a lot and I tried to talk him out of it and he finally ended up with another Explorer and I think that was the best decision he could have made, but he was super into this vehicle and I was arguing against it because when they built the commander, they just took the Grand uh, Cherokee's chassis and added a third row, basically. It wasn't that much bigger, and it looked not really that great. It was kind of like... So the at that point, the Grand Cherokee was getting curvier, but the commander kind of skipped the Grand Cherokee styling and took it from the Compass and the... What's that other uh, really terrible... No, the Renegade wasn't around at that time, um, but it was. It was. It looked more like a bigger version of their smaller SUVs, and it was okay. really bland, and it was super tight inside. It didn't really do anything cool off road, and no one bought them. Like it was a total failure for Jeep, and that was a big deal because they had never tried to have a three row before. Oh, 
so now so now what are they pulling off? So because now there's a three there's a third row version of the Grand Cherokee. I think it's called the L for some for, the, for the imaginatively L. named Grand Cherokee L. Yeah, and you're right. It, it came out at exactly the same time as the Grand Wagoneer. But that's because the Grand Wagoneer isn't seeking to uh, make the same mistake as the Commander. Instead, what happened in the last 10 years since the Commander left the market is many, many truck builders have had huge success with full-size luxury models. And mm-hmm. I think the last holdout from the traditional luxury set was BMW, and they came out with the X7. So finally, they were like the missing piece. Jeep's Jeep has had such a strong loyalty amongst its buyers. I think they were getting sick of seeing people who had kind of economically surpassed the price point where the Grand Cherokee was. And mm-hmm. they looked around the Jeep showroom, and there was nowhere for them to spend their bonus money. So they ended up at Cadillac buying an Escalade. They ended up buying a Navigator or, or an, um, a GL class, something like that. And okay. that's really going to suck if you're a product planner, right? Like you have all the tools. You have the ability to build these really popular SUVs, and there's like a really low ceiling. Okay. I love this. I love this. I, I really appreciate you providing that um... – that history lesson, especially about the previous three-row SUV, the Commander, when you say that they don't want to repeat the same mistakes they did with that vehicle, but then just added a third row to a, a Grand Cherokee and called it the Grand Cherokee L, are they repeating the same mistake there? No, I don't think so, because the Grand Cherokee L, it serves as an extension of the Grand Cherokee brand. So if people okay. don't buy it, the Grand Cherokee is not in trouble. Okay, but good. when they decided to do something that was truly luxurious, they went all in. And there's a bunch of differences between what you'd find from a Grand Cherokee and what you'd find in the Grand Wagoneer, and also between the new Grand Wagoneer and the old. And I think it primarily starts out with the fact that the Grand Wagoneer is riding on a Ram 1500 pickup platform that's been significantly modified. So it's a body-on-frame vehicle. The Grand Cherokee is unibody. So right away, this is a different class of SUV. I wouldn't have expected it to use a body-on-frame. Those are notoriously heavy, not very good on gas. Um, And I think brands like like Stellantis, the parent company, really need to... uh, they need to consider cur- curbing their fuel consumption with their vehicles, right? Well, the, the thing is, they don't necessarily... Stellantis, which is the hilariously named version of FCA Fiat Chrysler now, they don't really have the money <laughs> to build yeah. a brand new platform. And as we previously discussed, making a bigger Grand Cherokee platform didn't work for them in the past. So then the logical step was to turn to Ram. Okay. Um, and that's okay, though, because the Ram 1500 is is a pretty good truck. Like, I think it's, it's a strong truck. Yeah, it's truck. a fantastic truck, for sure. And if they're going to spend that investment on redeveloping that truck a couple of years ago, why not see if they can uh, spread the cost around with a, with a SUV, right? So, so the next thing about Wagoneer that's different is Jeep doesn't have a badge on the truck that says Jeep. You're not going oh, no. to you're not going to find because they're creating Wagoneer as its own family of vehicles. And before you scoff at that, because I know you're going to scoff at that, yeah, Ford I'm already mid scoff. For, Ford is doing the same thing with Bronco. So Ford yeah, is but, creating no, a Bronco family. On, hold, no, no, let me it. let me finish though. There, there's, I a, know that. there's a Bronco family, right? With the Bronco Sport, the two door Bronco, and the four door Bronco. Ford is giving its dealers special little Bronco pavilions that separate them from traditional Ford offerings, so they can have this kind of Bronco division. And just a bunch of guys in like in like camping gear and stuff like that are just going to sell people Broncos. Yeah, I think so. Maybe they're wearing full camouflage and you have to find yes. them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it, Jeep's doing the same thing with Wagoneer, except it's doing it on a more upscale 
Uh, they're doing the opposite thing. Well, how so? Well, they're not they're not making it all wilderness themed. No, it's it's all luxury themed. The oh, idea oh, is you buying. It's kind of like what Genesis did, where they're selling you an experience. And early on, when Genesis was being sold at Hyundai dealerships, they to differentiate themselves, they had to kind of provide a better standard of care. Like if you bought an Equus, I don't think you actually had to go to the dealership. I think they came to your house, picked up the car, and then brought it back when they were done servicing it. So this Love is it. kind of the same path that Jeep's walking down with the Wagoneer. So on the outside of the Wagoneer, you just see either Wagoneer, which is a vehicle that isn't out yet. It's 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 a more basic version of the Grand Wagoneer and then you have the obviously the Grand version and that's, that's the only branding you're going to see I'm uh, I was told a long time ago that of all of the p- brands on the planet Jeep is one that is extremely well recognized yes and to have a product that doesn't have the the same branding I guess as this very popular brand I've used the word brand like 25 times in one single sentence which I think is a world record um to not have that seems like a misstep. I think they should be promoting it every chance they get. That this is a Jeep in every every body panel should just have that Jeep logo stamped somewhere on it. I can tell you why they're not doing that. Right. Tell me. Because they, they know that it's eventually going to fail, right? No, there's two reasons. The, <laughs> the first being that the Grand Wagoneer will not be sold outside of North America. I would be very surprised. Okay. Uh, there's no appetite for giant full-size body-on-frame SUVs anywhere in the world except for the Middle East yeah. and North America. Those are like the two places. And following <laughs> following that up, they want to establish a, a true luxury brand because Jeep is not associated with luxury. And that's important because these vehicles retail for between like seventy and dollars and $110,000. Whoa, baby. That's yeah. a lot of money. Okay. It is now a lot of talking. money. It's a lot of money to pay for a Jeep, but maybe it's not a lot of money to pay for a Grand Wagoneer. And this is the image they're going to try to build for the vehicle. And again, if we look at the markets, uh, the Middle East... And North America, United States, Canada, I'm not sure if it's sold in Mexico, but the Middle East isn't going to care whether it has a Jeep badge on it or not. So that that's a market that is not as sensitive to that kind of branding, So, right. it, it, at least in my opinion. Is, tell me if this thing is worth six figures of cash. Like, that's a lot of money, man. It, it is it, a lot of money. What does it feel like? What does it look like? What does it, you know? So it looks to- absolutely nothing like... My Grand Wagoneer. They're the only parts. So there's no wood on the outside. That's the there's only no, thing. That all the wood is me. on the inside, and I'll get to that. But the only real points of comparison between the two of them from a design perspective is the shape of the rear window glass, and even that is a little bit of a stretch. I think that the Grand Wagoneer's weakest link is its exterior styling. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it is completely what you would expect from a really big truck based SUV. It just kind of has a generic profile. Two box design sort of thing. And and weirdly angled D pillar. It's just I don't know. It, it has it, it doesn't have a grace about it that you would expect. I mean it's hard to hard to have a graceful large vehicle. But compared to something like the Escalade or the Navigator, it doesn't feel as cohesive. The, the front end is nice enough. The rear end is very similar to a Lincoln. Okay. And and the side profile is just kind of there. And I don't think people will be turned off by it. I think it looks fine, but it it's not a style leader like the original Grand Wagoneer was, which was designed by Brooke Stevens, one of the most famous industrial designers in American history. Okay. And uh, so I'm looking at it now. You're right. It's not elegant. It, it looks massive. Um, uncomfortably so. And where where does it make up? I mean, luxury cars sometimes have like a bit of elegance to them unless they're like the G-Class or 
I guess just the, the, the G class, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and the G class is intended to be brutalist, right? Exactly. So is this what they're? Is this what you think they're going for here? No, no, no. I think no. that where the Grand Wagoneer really stands apart is once you open the door and step inside, because the cabin can, is fantastic. Can I talk one small thing about the exterior of this car? Of course. Why do the like? I'm looking at one of the press photos here of this red model with like chrome surrounds on the windows. That create like a little U shape that like disappear into at the, the roof. top. The, the, the yeah, the 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 blacked out roof, like it just looks so bizarre. Actually, so I don't know what they're going there. This is it looks like it looks bizarre to me, uh, like a spaceship, I guess, that doesn't have any connecting windows. So the inside, uh, it it has a lot more to commend it in terms of design and materials than I would expect from looking at the outside. It's okay. Jeep has filled it with wood, uh, and it, it, it's and when I say filled it, I mean like you have wood on the doors and the dash panels, like you'd expect. But also the the version I drove, the center console was entirely made of wood, and it it really works. It's it's a nice kind of light color for the inside that really brightens it up. There's tons of of leather with nice stitching. It's again, it's a detail thing, and yeah. most of this truck is seriously detailed on the inside the other thing that they it has a little too much of are screens <laughs> um we've talked about this when they first announced the grand wagoneer and they released a video there was like a video i think where from you were sitting in the second row and you could see like six screens that had like a fireplace video playing <laughs> and it's it's not inaccurate sammy there's a screen in front of the driver there's one on the center stack there's one that folds down underneath that center stack screen that covers where you would, you know, have cup holders and stuff or, yeah. or storage. And then there's another screen that fades in and out of view on the dashboard directly in front of the passenger. What do you mean by fades in and out like of view? Like it's integrated into the dash. And when it's off, you don't really see it. And when you turn it... just it, looks like wood. And no, it doesn't look it? like wood. It just looks oh, okay. like, like, like plastic, like, like black onyx, whatever. Ah. And then when you turn it on, it's like, you know, when you go to a really fancy hotel that has a, ho- that has a TV screen embedded in the mirror... In the bathroom. Why do I want that? Because <laughs> I know that when you're in a hotel, when you travel, you're mostly in the bathroom for the duration <laughs> of your stay. And this just makes it a little more entertaining for you. Okay, talk to me about all this wood. Is this, Does this wood look good, feel good? Sammy, is it real? Is it? Did you, did you get a splinter? Sammy, you know? I wasn't done talking about the screens. Oh, what? You talked about five screens already. No, I How talked many more about screens four screens in the front. Let's go to the second row now. <laughs> Okay. Where there were two screens hanging off the headrests, like you would expect. I can expect. imagine that. Yeah. yeah. But there's also this, like, screen that forms like a wave coming up off the center console. What do you mean by forms like a wave? It's what like does a, that mean? It's, like, angled and curved. Like what? a like Why? a wave breaking over the breaking over the shore, and that screen it, it has tons of functionality, kind of like the the main screen in the front. So that's six, no, seven screens. Is it? Yeah, right. it's seven screens in the first two rows alone. That's and amazing. And the third row screen. Okay, so the third row didn't have any screens that oh, I noticed. Garbage. <laughs> Toss this car out. But what the third row did have was more of the same kind of wood and leather that you find in the first two positions. And I want to point out that this is important because if you've ever spent time in the third row of any large SUV, a lot of the a lot of the time like it. Throwaways. I'm sorry. We didn't... Those third rows are like we didn't we didn't want to put any of them. Yeah, they're afterthoughts. There's like hard plastic. Sometimes the surfaces are even sharp. Like it's not, (laughs) it's terrible. The the Grand Wagoneer continues the elegance you have up front all the way to the back, and 
Uh, yeah, you almost never see that. So I was very impressed. Everything felt expensive and well-built and reasonably easy to use. Um, I had no complaints about really the interface. I mean, uh, Chrysler's done a really good job with Uconnect. It's more screens than I need, <laughs> than yeah. I think anyone needs. But it, it's the part of the vehicle that really kind of brings up the experience level and makes you think, okay, I understand the price point now. Um, all these screens kind of bug me because we complain a little bit about the usability of, the inter- of those interfaces, especially when it comes to changing things while on the go. Um, and I think the the most expensive version of the Ram 1500 still suffers from that feature as well. As 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 much as it's a very responsive screen, trying to tap things like climate controls and stuff is is difficult to do on the yeah on, i agree what is and, the situation on this one well in fact it's interesting that you mentioned that because the fold down screen that's underneath the main screen it duplicates mm-hmm. functionality for seat controls and some climate stuff uh yep. so you can have whatever you're doing on the main screen and then use this if you want to it doesn't have to be there but it's like a shortcut for that and even even that though you're right it is complicated mm-hmm. uh excuse me to the point where I think there's a bit of a learning curve to use it, but I don't think it's complicated in the same way it would be if it was all stuffed in submenus. So at least it's kind of broken out along the lines of functionality. Okay, and then one more thing I want to ask about the interior is one of the things that makes like um, an Escalade or the or the more mainstream versions of them, the Suburban and the Tahoe, really interesting is that they are are full of like storage areas like they have it, you can you can live out of these things so you have like cubbies and storage areas that like usually that center console or that armrest storage area is is massive so what is it like in in this vehicle it's the same deal not only is the cool. center storage massive but it's also refrigerated and Ooh. there's all sorts of nooks and crannies everywhere for for hauling your stuff uh zero problems there uh, the other thing i'd like to mention about the interior is it is super quiet uh, at highway speeds, it is extremely calm inside the vehicle. And that's not a given for something of this size that's pushing as much wind as it is. Okay, so then talk to me about what it's like and like how does it get to highway speeds and what is the motor that's propelling this thing? Okay, so uh, I believe the base version, the base Wagoneer, which no one's driven yet, has a 5.7 liter V8. But the Grand Wagoneer that I drove had a 6.4 liter V8, which is one of my favorite engines from Chrysler. And in the mm-hmm. Grand Wagoneer, it's 471 horsepower and 455 pound-feet of torque. It's got that 48-volt mild hybrid system, so it kind of gives you that jolt of extra torque off the line not a lot but it's just you know you have quicker access to it it's very it's very uh, i hesitate to say quick it feels quick for a large vehicle it doesn't feel like a performance truck but it passes well uh it has very good power at any real speed i mean if you're on the highway and you're already doing 75 80 miles an hour you're gonna get the acceleration you want to pass and i was really impressed with it they're they're gonna make a plug-in hybrid version of it because this thing gets like 15 miles per gallon combined, Sammy. No, don't talk about your old one. Talk about the new one. No, my my old Jeep, my my Grand Wagoneer in stock form got 12, I think, from the factory, <laughs> yeah. and it currently gets 20 so, um, with my LS swap. A- so this this much larger vehicle is horrendous on fuel economy. It weighs 6,000 pounds. Okay. And you never That's- forget that it weighs 6,000 pounds. Wild. Okay, then one more thing that I, I need to ask about this um, is, like, something that Cadillac really did, and I think Ford will do with the Navigator, is they'll include some of those fancy hands-free driving systems. Is there any indication that um, 
Jeep is working on something like that here? There's nothing particularly special. It's the same suite of active safety gear you'd find in any other Jeep. And it works okay? I guess so. I didn't have any issues with it. Uh, it also comes, it's also worth mentioning, it comes with QuadraDrive 2, which is like the top tier four-wheel drive system for Jeep. And it has an adjustable air suspension, so you can go higher for off-road clearance. But this is not a trail-rated vehicle, which is, again, another place of differentiation between the Grand Wagoneer and everything else in the Jeep lineup, uh, kind of indicating that Jeep understands no one's going to be off-roading with it. It's okay. it, You could if you wanted to, and it probably will feel a lot like a full-size truck off-road. But yeah. most people, it, they're, instead, they're going to, you know, if they're going to use it for something, it's going to be carrying people or towing, because it tows about 10,000 pounds, or very close to it. Okay, I mean, well, that's to, to be expected considering the bones that it's based on, right? Yes. Like, it should be pretty good at that. Yes, definitely. So anyway, I would say overall, I think it's a good vehicle. I'm not sure if it's a six-figure vehicle in terms of its entire package. I think a lot of that is going to be branding dependent. I think it is nicer inside than an Escalade, no question. Uh, I think as an overall package, it kind of falls behind the Navigator in terms of interior, exterior styling, and overall experience. But it's a really, it's a cohesive effort. I mean, Jeep has really tried here. So I'm curious to see how people respond to this vehicle. I like that. They've really tried here as opposed to some of the other times that they didn't. Yeah, where they were just like, it was just kind of a, I wouldn't say cynical, but just a, well, what can we put out there that's inexpensive? And they they end up with things like the Commander. And one last thing I want to say about it is I had people stop on the highway. We were caught in traffic for a bit and make me roll down the window to ask me questions about the vehicle. And that is surprising to me because I don't find it that visually striking. But it is enormous and impossible to ignore. So I think the fact that it isn't really on the roads yet kind of had people interested in finding out more about it. This is not a pretty – this is not a pretty truck. Like I'm done – like I don't want to talk much more about it because every time I look at it, I I just – Find something new that I'm not impressed with Wow, uh, visually. But the interior is pretty nice. Um, I'm eager to to see what that's like, too. Anything else you want to say about this? Where can no, you I find think that, stories that wraps on this? Up, that wraps up Grand Wagoneer for me. Uh, what, what I, Now, the vehicle that you want to talk about this week, yeah. it's potentially more off-road friendly than the Grand Wagoneer? Is that what I understand properly? Yeah, potentially, and also related to a nameplate that I also own. So, oh, uh, what's going on? It's like Freaky Friday here. Yes. Um, I drove the new Subaru Outback. I named it the Wilderness um, Edition, nice. which I think is the wrong one, wrong way to pronounce it. Wilderness um, altogether, which is a new trim level that sits between the Onyx Edition and the Limited um, and this I have no idea cool. what the Onyx edition is. Is that a rap version of the car? Like, because Onyx was one of my. I have an Onyx story for you if you want to hear it. <laughs> yes, of course I do. So I went to see. I tried to go to see Onyx uh, perform two years ago. It's just before the pandemic, so it might have even been three years ago. And I went to this club in Montreal, and I sat through two and a half, three hours of local rappers who were not really that great, and it was mostly them and their friends on stage shouting each other out. It was boring. I was with a friend, and she looked at me, and she's like, if Onyx does – it was like one thirty in the morning. And she's like, if Onyx doesn't come on next, I'm getting out of here. This is, like, not worth hanging out for. And I'm like, no, you're right. So we wait, and then it's yet another local group. And I'm like, oh, man. So we, we, we're leaving, and they're like, why are you leaving? Onyx is going on soon. And we're like, it's almost 2 in the morning. The headliner at your show needs to be here at midnight. That's the latest you can put a headliner on and have people stick around. And they're like, oh, you're going to miss some fun. And I'm like – I just walked out of there. And I, I loved Onyx when I was younger. Uh, a lot of great albums um, in the 90s and early 2000s. But no, I just couldn't do it. I could not endure more subpar hip-hop. 
Well, I don't think that I don't think the Onyx Edition channels that. It's just a. I think it's a mid grade. Um, I think it might be the cheapest one you can get the nice motor in. Okay. Yes, it's the cheapest um, turbocharged version. Cheapest, fastest. Yes. Okay. So the the but back to the wilderness or wilderness. Um, This is a vehicle that I was really um, skeptical of, and that comes with some some history. I think I was not as impressed with the. Um, latest generation Outback, I felt that it became really anonymous. It didn't feel as, it didn't have the personality. I think of previous Outbacks, it didn't feel very rugged or or um, engaging. It didn't feel like superbly capable, even though it probably is. And it felt like something that was made to be far more family friendly, which I guess Subaru has been, has been slowly um, entering it into that sort of um, mind space over the past few generations. So what, what makes the wilderness version different? Like why, why do you have this reaction to kind of a visceral, almost automatic reaction to saying, Oh, this is not something that I'm interested in. Well, again, because I, I thought that the, the normal versions of this outback were like, we're kind of blah. This model is the, is like the, the attempt from Subaru to, add some spice to the to the model lineup and i think i actually think they managed to pull it off but when you this, say spice like what kind of spice so it's not in powertrain it still has the same 2.4 liter turbocharged four-cylinder um boxer motor um what they've done is they've um added a ton of body cladding everywhere they've um upgraded the suspension changed the tires and uh they've also improved the um you know they have this x mode to help people get out of whatever st- sticky situation they're in. Yes. And uh, this has like a, an X mode that works better in deeper stuff, which I think first debuted in like the Forester a long time so ago. So what you're, it sounds like you're describing an off-road edition of the Outback. Which seems like a product that shouldn't need it. That's like saying I have an out, uh, an off-road version of the Wrangler, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, out of the box, the Outback is supposed to do all the things that the wilderness seems to be advertising its capabilities at. Right. right. If I'm so, if, like, if I buy an Outback, my expectation is I can take it off road to a limited degree, a very limited degree, but still, right? Well, I think for the most part, an Outback should be able to hit the trails in, and anybody you know who wants to get in deep in some of these parks will will manage. Will be able to do that. It won't, you know, rock crawl or anything like that. No, but I, I, I want to point it, out that an Outback has eight point seven inches of ground clearance. That's the same as a Grand Cherokee. Okay, so here's where we're at. Now it's upgraded the, the, its ground clearance by 0. Um, 0.8 inches, I think. I can't remember what you said. Uh, to 9.5 inches, which is a little bit more. It's got a big old skid plate in the front. Um, and you can get some accessories like uh, pr- differential protectors and stuff like that. Um, that also improve it, its durability and reliability so on the road. So there's accessories in addition to the wilderness package? Yeah. Okay. And... Um, They've also improved the suspension a little bit. I think this is something that um, most people don't realize, but sometimes you have to go a little bit stiffer when you're going off-road, not just, you know, soft. And this this change to the suspension and the steering, uh, this change resulted in a a noticeable difference in the way that the vehicle rode. And it, to me, represented what I felt is what an Outback should be from the factory. Like, this is what it should have been. From day one, this generation. So and I did, think that's, that's crazy, that it made such a dramatic enough difference for me to say they did this right. So did you take it off-road? Um, I didn't take it, like, down 
I didn't like I said I didn't go rock crawling or anything, but I did hit up a couple of gravel roads and other um, like like muddy and uh, and grass you know grass fields and stuff. Okay, so like uh, not not on a paved surface, basically. Yeah, I did take it off the paved surface for sure. And uh, yeah, it, it perfectly suitable at that at that task. I was pretty impressed with that. That's fine, but I also think in those situations a normal outback would have done fine too. Um, but the added sidewall. And um, the the improved suspension really did contribute to a more rugged feeling and like capable, like more confidence overall. And I was very happy with that. However, we, we should talk about some of the other things. Can I talk to you about Subaru and their love for badges? You talked about Jeep and how they won't have a, a Jeep badge on this Grand Wagoneer. Subaru must have put 25 uh, wilderness badges on this vehicle and, and everywhere you look there's a wilderness badge there's one on the on the front fender there's one on the side on the on the rear of the vehicle there's ones on the side sills and in the um foot what are they called the footwells footwells and the mats right like and in the headrest and like it's it's a bit over the top but i think subaru also does this with the the sti um, I, I see that also. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the styling, but you mentioned badges. It looks like on the rear bumper, there's two yellow painted reflectors. Is that what those are? Yeah. And there's also a, uh, a pair of those on the front bumper under the, uh, just under the grill. What are they for? And Is it just styling? It's just styling as far as I can tell. And they also have these yellow, you know, the, the Subaru, the Outback has this really interesting, um, roof rails that can, that can become cross rails as well. Yeah, and I see that it can support... And those l- latches. Those latches are also that same yellowy gold. So it can support 220 pounds uh, dynamic load or 700 pounds static. So like you can camp on the roof, basically. Yeah, that's a big thing nowadays. Everyone's going uh, overlanding. No one wants to camp on the ground. They want to camp on top of their car. So that way the bear doesn't have to lean down when it when it eats you <laughs> as an hors d'oeuvre. Uh, yeah. What do you think about the, the body cladding? Because I'm going to be honest... It's a lot of black plastic. It makes me think Pontiac uh, from, and not Aztec? in a good way. From like, like Aztec Pontiac? The, like early 2000s Pontiac. You know, the vibe had a lot of that too. W- how did that make you feel? Um, it is over the top. It, and, and you know what? I had some people like staring at the car, like trying to figure out what are they looking at? Like, who is this person driving this vehicle? And are they really going to be using it for, you know, are they really going off-road in this thing? And do I mean, obviously, all, that, right? all that black plastic everywhere, which might get, you know, scraped up or whatever. Um, uh, the the visual styling, like, it stands out. Like, it, without a doubt, it stands out, especially in this bright blue. Um, it's not the World Rally blue. This this has a very specific blue to it. It's was, vil- wilderness part. blue. <laughs> wilderness blue. It's called geyser blue, okay? <laughs> That's funny because the geyser blew up. <laughs> I'm just getting the joke now. Thank you, Subaru PR. It says, it's a color that is inspired by Subaru's rally heritage and the scenery only found in the U.S. National Parks. So Whoa, you and I, what about the Canadian National <laughs> yeah, Parks? You and I uh, would We're, be uncomfortable with this. Well, uh, maybe this not uncomfortable, but unfamiliar. Unfamiliar, of course. Although I have been to Yellowstone. And it, it, it was it blue enough for you? The bisons were incredibly <laughs> blue. Yes, of course they were. Um, overall, the, the vehicle is... I was so, like I said, I was so skeptical, and I feel like um, when you when you browse sort of the outback forums and communities, you see a lot of people doing what this wilderness version is. Like they will hike up the the suspension, they'll put big old meaty tires on it, they'll put like 
lights on the roof and stuff. I think it's do- fun. I think it's really cool when people yeah. do that with Subarus. It's, I like people who off-road with something that's non-traditional, regardless of whether they're going to get stuck or not. And uh, it's just a fun aesthetic. And seeing Subaru, they saw this. They said, well, our owners are doing this. Let's do it for them. And the, the, they did it. And I also need to add that the price point is really not that aggressive. It starts at $36,995, which is just about $1,000 more than that uh, Onyx Edition XT with the turbocharged engine. And I think it's definitely worth it. Uh, and this should be the go-to Outback for anybody who wants that Outback experience. Okay, if, you now- just want, if you just want a capable all-wheel drive, family-friendly, but two-row SUV, any of the other Outbacks will be fine. But if you did want something that would take you off-road, then this wilderness will do it. Now, do you still feel this should be the default choice when knowing that it takes the fuel economy because of the gearing and the tires on this vehicle drops from 26 miles per gallon to 24 miles per gallon combined? Uh, and even on the highway, it's not doing as well as the Turbo 4 yeah. in the Onyx Edition. So do you think that that matters? Is that a big enough... Uh, is that a big enough kind of complaint to have, or do you think that everything else makes up for the reduced efficiency? I think you're onto something with that because Subaru has pushed fuel economy and they put a CVT in all of their vehicles, and you'd think that to be a priority of the brand. But if you if this vehicle is less fuel efficient, I really wish they kind of didn't. They would have had like a manual or a or a non CVT version of the truck uh, or the of the SUV and. Because the fuel economy is four miles per gallon worse. Like, that is that is pretty significant. Um, uh, it's not as bad as 15 when whatever your car was you were driving. It's, but it's four miles per gallon in what measure? In um, highway. Okay, highway. highway. So, the... You know, the other thing that goes along with these tires is some people that I've spoken to have said it feels a bit squishy on the pavement because mm-hmm. of the tread pattern is more aggressive. Uh, did you have anything... Did you feel that way when you're just driving around town that maybe it wasn't as nimble as a uh, regular Outback? I Or braking? Did you notice any braking issues? Yeah, I think braking is where you'll notice it more. Um, I didn't notice it being too squishy. Then again, I did... Like, it It feels like a bigger... Like, it feels like a more rugged um, crossover. Whether... Like, this was one of my main complaints with the with the non-wilderness version of the Outback, was that it was almost too harsh to... It just didn't feel like an Outback to me. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm trying to... It felt more like a car than a crossover. Okay. And this one feels more like a, like an SUV. So you want that squish. I did. I wanted that. But you're right. The braking time... The braking distance and the responsiveness did need to be uh, dialed in a little bit better. You need to be more aware of that. And any final thoughts on the wilderness? Um... Those tires aren't interesting. That t- tires in an off-road vehicle is always an interesting thing, and I'm sure you you would love to talk about this as well. Um, when you when winter comes, you can't like those tires are not the same as winter tires. Like they don't act the same as winter tires. No, I mean for for people who are keeping score at home, they're Yokohama Geolanders, right? Geolander AT. And I would be curious to see how people outfit this sort of vehicle with winter tires in the because. It's it's a different it will be a different experience too, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Um, and I'm curious to see if there's going to be a lot of people who just don't change their winter tires out and use these all-terrain tires and suffer the consequences in that situation. And what's nice about uh, the wilderness is you don't just get four geolanders on the truck or sorry on the on the vehicle. You also get a full size spare with the yeah, all-terrain tire on it. And that so, is so good. because you know you would expect, oh, it's it's a modern car, probably has like a space saver spare or something in it. But if you're off road and you pop a tire, yeah, you can't just like put on that fifty mile an hour spare and, and get home. You know, and especially too all wheel drive vehicles. They're very sensitive to overall diameter or sorry, circumference of the wheels, right? So you need to make sure you're matching side to side. So all these reasons are, are reasons why Subaru would need to do this, but it doesn't necessarily mean they would do it, and they did. So I appreciate that. So, I mean, considering this is just about – it's a little over $1,000 more than the Onyx Edition, and you get those um, – those five of those Geolanders, which is pretty cool. Uh, you get the race suspension, the body cladding, the, the unique style. It's a bargain. It sounds like a good deal. You like, probably pay more for that just for the tires. Yeah, for sure. Even the rims are pretty uh, are pretty old school and cool too, right? Yeah. So I, you know, as a special version of, if you wanted to get a special version of the Outback, this feels like a deal. Yeah. It. I still think that this is how the Outback should have felt from day one. I don't know if it should have been raised with all terrain tires, but it should have felt more like this vehicle from day one. So how long before we start seeing? wilderness outbacks with a 31 inch tire out on the trail i'm glad that you've kept this wilderness thing going um i don't know how long um but i do i i have heard that subaru is planning on bringing in more of these wilderness trimmed vehicles to their lineup i mean obviously forester right i i'm not sure about forester i've heard crosstrek is the name that's being pushed around that makes sense i think forester makes sense too but crosstrek i guess is where they're going to start um I wonder what's going on with the poor Forester. It seems like it's 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 stuck in limbo because um, nobody it, talks about the Forester. It really often. does feel ignored. I mean, there's no can you you can't get a two point four in it, right? No, there's no XT version anymore either. No. Uh, yeah, there's I have a sport it, model which is like full of orange trim. Yeah, I remember that. I don't see it disappearing because they sell a lot of them and it's a good yeah. vehicle. But you're right; it's not getting the love that the that the wilderness uh, version of the Outback is getting. And also, I think the Crosstrek, which to be fair, had been ignored for quite some time, has also <laughs> been getting some more attention recently. Well, it recently got a new engine, and I think they will definitely put it, it, this that body style, that look of it, that like. It, it it looks like a mini outback already, and I think just they can make they can translate the wilderness package to that very easily. Right? I think you're I think you're right, but I mean obviously a forester would could also make do with that. Um, what else is on your mind? Do you want to talk about anything else today? No, I think I'm good. I think that really uh, we we got a lot of mileage out of the wilderness uh, more so than I thought we would, uh, and yeah, I think I think that wraps things up for me. So Sammy, if people want to hear us talking more, how can they do that? Um, they can easily go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Um, and the easiest way is to just, you know, click on one of the subscribe buttons at the top or do that in your podcast client if you're using a mobile app or something like that. Um, additionally, while you're at our website, you can see the list of all of our previous episodes as well as photos of the cars we're driving and links to articles that we've written about those um, vehicles. And additionally... Um, while you're at our website, you can get in touch with us. There's a little contact form there and you fill that form out and it lands in our inbox, which is very handy. Or 
You can find us on social media. Sammy is on the cesspool that is Twitter. You can find him there at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find me on Instagram where things are just a little bit more chill. Uh, I'm at Hunting Benjamin. I also wanted to mention if you if if you could leave a comment or a like or a rating on whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, whether you're a first-time listener or long-time listener, that really helps us get in front of more uh, a wider audience, and we would really appreciate it. And if you want to kind of tip us and send a little cash our way, you can do that at our Ko-Fi link, ko-fi forward slash unnamed automotive podcast. And uh, it's the it's it's a pretty simple process. Ben, what are you talking about next week? Next week, I'm going to be talking about the 2021 BMW M4 competition, Sammy. Okay, good. I was worried that you were going to say Grand Wagoneer. No, we did that no. just now. Oh, okay. I forgot. I managed um, to remember. I don't know how. <laughs> and I've got... Um, the Mustang Mach-E, you, you drove it a little while ago, and now this was my chance to drive it, including a long road trip. So I'm going to share with you whether or not that's even possible. Uh, yeah, I think there was like a I... little bit of charging drama on that road trip, if I remember correctly. <laughs> There's always going to be tri- charging drama when it comes to um, lo- road trip EVs. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.